As a business owner of an aquaculture company, how can you take the first step to be profitable and sustainable at the same time? That's what we're going to be talking about in this episode. Hello, and welcome to the Business of Aquaculture podcast. This is the podcast for the sustainable business movement in the aqua farming and ocean ranching industries. This podcast aims to amplify the voices of entrepreneurs addressing the United Nations Global Goals, a.k.a. Sustainable Development Goals Number 14, to conserve and sustainably use the oceans and the seas. Listen in to fellow business aquaculturists in their journey in this new model of food production of making their business sustainable and help the ocean's ecology while also making a profit all at the same time. Get inspired to learn how even small to medium businesses can make an impact to save the seas, leave a legacy, and have a better quality of life. One of our goals is you take away a nugget of wisdom that will help your business move from the industrial revolution to business 5.0. Our vision is that of collaboration in the aquaculture industry. I'm Lourdes Gant, your host. As an agriculture business owner, how do you tackle the balance in being able to run a sustainable business, being profitable, but also working with family members? That's what we're going to be talking about in this episode. Welcome to Episode 8 of the Business of Aquaculture. This episode, I'm honored to have Mr. Bill Taylor, who is the Vice President of Taylor Shellfish Farms. In 1890, their family began farming shellfish in the waters of Puget Sound. Five generations later, they continued to provide their customers with one of the best shellfish in the Pacific Northwest has to offer. Welcome to the call, Bill. Thank you. If you listen to episode 7, I interviewed Mr. Brian Takeda of Urchinomics, and he discussed how they are sustainably promoting urchin aquaculture globally. But today, we're going to find out from Bill how their family business is able to thrive after five generations. Welcome again, Bill. Thank you. Thank you. I love reading the introduction that you guys wrote about your story on your website, wherein your grandfather started this business. Normally, I would ask my guests how they started in the industry, but because I know you started from family, maybe you can share with us your journey from there. Was it a given that you're going to be taking over and what have you? Maybe you can start with that. Sure. Well, my great-grandfather started in 1890, and family has owned tidelands and farmed shellfish since that time. My father was wanting to make sure that when we were getting out of high school that we made a decision that wasn't necessarily to go into shellfish farming. He wanted us to get out into the world. He made us go to college, to university, which was a great experience for me. But I really had a passion for farming shellfish, my brother and I had our own clam business when we were in college and employed a lot of our college friends. And we'd grown up from the time we were little kids digging clams and working in the oysters. And so it was something that both my brother and I enjoyed the work, liked it, found it invigorating. And when we got out of college, we saw the opportunity and it got us to come back home and and really work, but it certainly was not a requirement that we join the business and follow in in our family's footsteps. 
And I think that's an important thing as I know some families where it seems like it's an obligation. And I oftentimes I think that's a very poor thing. I think you need to want to do it, not necessarily feel like you have to do it. That's quite amazing, actually. Your great grandparents would have been really amazed how you guys kind of have already the genes for it. So they didn't have to convince you to actually do the work. That's quite great. <laughs> and from my case, you're already five generations or kind of still second generation with ours. And it's also amazing how Eric's second daughter just started diving for us and she loved the oceans. I can already see she's following her father's footsteps, just loving mother nature and being able to make a livelihood out of it. So thank you for sharing that. So when you were in college, when you were saying you were already doing like your oyster business with your brother, was it because you wondered, if you were probably born in a different family, did you think you would have gotten into the aquaculture industry? You know, I don't know. That's a good <laughs> question. <laughs> I had other things, other things that I really enjoyed doing too. So I, I suspect that if it wouldn't have been for that, you probably would have followed a different path, but I'm very happy I went down this path. Yeah, it's quite amazing what your family have actually done in the industry as well. And everybody's looking up to how you built this family business to where it is right now. So maybe you can tell our listeners, what do you think are the pros and cons in being in the aquaculture industry, considering the progress and what you've done to the industry? It's an exciting industry. It's also an industry filled with a lot of risk from a number of different aspects. You've got just the biological aspect of the farming, all the predators that you deal with, just animals themselves and how they are adjusting to changing ocean conditions. And then you have a lot of regulatory issues, community issues that you need to deal with. And labor has become, particularly here in the past, five years or so has become a much larger part of concerns about being in in the business. Markets are also a concern. And so I think there's a, a lot of reason for optimism, but there's also you need to be looking over your shoulder all the time because there's a lot of things that can go wrong and in a lot of different areas. Great. You've given our audience quite a bit to think about all those. And you are absolutely right in terms of having to look over your shoulders all the time because it's such a dynamic industry. And it's not something I've seen somewhere before in the industries I've been in. And one of the things you mentioned was, especially with the workers, with the environmental groups, with political groups, how is Taylor Hatchery able to sustainably keep, I guess, looking over their shoulders and still continue to thrive, even probably during the pandemic last year. Do you want to share with your audience what something different that you guys did? Sure. Well, there's two things. One is we've worked with a number of environmental organizations for many, many years because water quality is a huge factor. And so we've, particularly for shellfish, Oysters, clams, mussels, gooey duck, they need really clean water. And we've been on the forefront of advocating for clean water through the legislative and regulatory means that we have, particularly here in Washington State, 
the pandemic has really brought on a, a whole different issue. And particularly for a lot of the markets that we were in was heavily oriented towards restaurants. We were selling to, if we didn't sell to restaurants directly, the distributors that we were selling to and our sales a year ago were 25% in March and April last year of what they had been the previous year. And it really, really had a significant shock on our business. Fortunately, here in the U.S. and in Canada, wage subsidies were put in place that without them, I think almost all the businesses I know would have probably been broke. And so those were of huge benefit to all of us in this really unusual time where nothing we did created the problem. It was a problem that the whole whole world has been trying to grapple with here. And so it is much appreciated that the governments have stepped up and put into place. Fortunately, after that initial shock, markets started to come back and they've come back. We've seen kind of shocks as we've gone through the second and third, now the fourth kind of rise of the virus, at least here in the U.S., and each time it seems like it's slowed sales of the most recent fourth wave that is a smaller wave here, at least in the U.S. I think in Canada, it sounds like it's it's definitely more impactful. About with the number of vaccinations that have happened in the U.S., now it sounds like about 50% of the adults have had at least one shot. We're Seeing optimism come up, though, restaurants in the U.S. are still, many of them are still only less than 50% capacity. So we're anticipating that markets will rebound significantly once we get probably into the fall or next year. Perfect. Yes, we are also optimistic in terms of what the industry will bring about. I guess a lot of people was forced to go online and just do adapt to the situation that made the industry, I think, maybe a year or two ahead in terms of technology of what's going on in the aquaculture technology space as well. So thank you for that. And my last question to you is, can you probably give us three top trends that you're seeing that can happen in the aquaculture industry in the next 10 years? One of the things, and you mentioned going online, I think we have always had kind of an online presence, but really worked on promoting sales this past year. And we saw a five-fold increase in sales over the previous years. Now we put a lot more effort into it just because there wasn't really channel to go the other way, go to our other sales. But I think that that gives you a much more direct connection to your customers. And I think that that's a good thing in the long run because you can educate people about your products. So I think that that's one trend that we'll continue to see on the sales side of things. On the regulatory side of our business, I think that we're going to continue to have increased scrutiny as we go forward. We have a couple of things as more people move into areas that we're farming, you get more scrutiny. And I think that's one issue. You've got changing ocean conditions and that leaves for uncertainty on terms of how you're farming and different changes happening and how that fits into the regulatory concept is definitely 
something that as the industry evolves to meet that, those changing conditions, it has to change its techniques and how that's going to fit into the regulatory system is that regulatory system tends to move slow and, and these, we need to move fairly quickly. So I think the continuing dance with regulations is something that we're going to continue. I think the other part then is really to the biology and trying to work with these animals in really quickly changing ocean conditions to help from a farming aspect to help them adapt, particularly with oysters. We're seeing mortalities that in the last uh, 10 years or so that we have seen at different times, but not with the consistency and just trying to adapt, trying to breed these animals so that they can adjust to these conditions. I think it's going to be a really critical issue. And I think we're going to find that other species have different tolerances going forward. And if we're going to continue to farm them, we're going to need to be able to be able to adapt with them. So like I said earlier, there's a lot of reason for optimism, but there's also a lot of things that you've got to be careful of as the environment changes and as markets change. And you always have to be on top of your game. You're always walking on the edge in this business. Thank you so much, Bill. I really appreciate your time today. And my biggest takeaway from our conversation is I love the way that you use the word dance. And I think in all of your statements in my interview today, it's that dance with regulation, dance with the animals, dance with collaboration of people, and even the dance between having optimism and facing of what is in terms of the reality of the aquaculture sphere. So thank you again for your time today. Well, I hope you guys enjoy this episode and for my next episode we'll have JP Hasty who is the president and founding member of Nova Harvest in which he was recognized as one of the annual top 10 under 40 in the aquaculture industry. Thank you again so much Bill and I really appreciate your Thank time. Thank you. Thank you for listening and I hope you are inspired from this episode. Do take a moment and share this with your friends and colleagues and rate and review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'd love to know what your biggest takeaway from this conversation has been. What are you going to do differently? Please share your thoughts across social media and tag us. For links and show notes for this episode, visit our website www.sustainableaquaculture.ca slash podcast. Thank you again. I hope you will join me on the next episode and together we can help create a better business in aquaculture.